and one, and two, one, two, three, four, hello! Welcome to House of Scouts, this is Industry Talk. As always, we are joined by the inimitable, the prolific, the most excellent, Ryan Glassman of the New York Post. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Is anyone else having trouble hearing, Ethan? Yes. Somebody said your audio sucks. They are correct. Let me turn my Bluetooth. What a start, everybody. Does that sound better? Does that that sound does better? sound better, yes. Straight to the point, Joe is a gun. Yeah. You know what happened right there? I had some headphones. Did not know the headphones were on. Connected to the headphones. It's a spectacular story. Riveting, really. Uh, anyway... Ryan, how are you doing? Let's do this again. Um, I am doing well. The Yeah, I, I was up a little bit too late last night at the bar for being a 35-year-old dad of two plus two dogs, but um, we're still alive, so let's go. Yeah, let's go. And uh, in keeping with the momentum theme, you texted me something last night, and it was... The NBA needed this. I, I want to probe into that, pry into that. What say you about this? We've obviously criticized the NBA from, uh, you know, from this perch, this lofty perch of the call-in live show. Uh, but you think there's a little bit of NBA momentum. Why do you think it's happening? Um, well, I think the biggest answer is that the last two years, the season was out of the rhythm of the year. And now we have full arenas, exciting young players, and the games are when they're supposed to be. Now, I'm also old enough to remember when the NBA was like talking about starting the season at Christmas, and they kind of got a two-year experiment of seeing what it was like if their biggest games were in July or August or whatever, and nobody wanted that. And so mm. now we're back to normal, and this is when it feels like we should be watching the NBA playoffs. Plus the Warriors are such a bigger draw than everybody else. And they're humming. And I was texting you. You got to take, you got a legit take on this. You're, you're slow playing the take, you know, you're burying the lead. You've got to take on what's happening and why it's good for the NBA. Well, I don't think that LeBron being out is the only reason like the Warriors being big is bigger than the than yeah. LeBron being out. But I do think that um, the public is sick of LeBron. And, you know, you bring this up and people will say, oh, well, the numbers don't bear that out because when he plays, it does better viewership than X, Y, and Z. And I'm sure you could prove that, yeah, LeBron gets better ratings than like Giannis or um, Morant or even like probably KD. But... I think that the public is sick of him because he doesn't, um, frankly, have gratitude. And there's like, you know, Steph Curry has gratitude, it seems like. Yeah. Giannis, Giannis oozing with gratitude. And let me give you Durant, some... gratitude. Um, let, let me Kevin give you Durant, some... not so much, but um, yeah. This well, game I'll, is more I'll... interesting than LeBron's to me. I'll give you an example because people will perhaps question that and go, that's an old man take as though having an old man take is bad. I guess. I don't know why it would be, but um, LeBron wins the championship with the Lakers in the bubble, turns to the camera and says, 
I want my damn respect. And it's just, that doesn't feel good for anybody. I mean, maybe it feels good for him, uh, I, I suppose, but that's not what people want this to be about. Even if it's an Is there any question. level of, like, damn respect, quote-unquote, that he could receive that he would that's, be like, okay, I've received my damn respect? That's exactly why people pull back from it. That's exactly why it doesn't resonate. It's because people sense at a certain level that there is a hole there and it will never be filled. And so well, he should just watch that. first things first if he wants his damn respect. <laughs> yeah, there are people who will give him his damn respect, but that's partially, I think, why it's so unappealing. It's because people know he's respected and have given him the respect. And if he still doesn't feel respected, then what are we even doing here? Um, and so that's just one example. I mean, to me, that was the most uh, obvious example. And it wasn't anything, I think, that was really identified or talked about. I just remember watching it live and going, ah, that's not fun. That's not enjoyable versus Giannis, who seemed like he was just weeping and joyous. And it felt like a legitimate moment as it, perhaps it did when LeBron won his first championship with Miami. But now with the Lakers, it's not even Godfather Part 3. It feels like Godfather Part 7. It just feels unholy and decadent and boring all at the same time. His Cavs title was the moment that like was galvanizing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm certainly not missing him this week. No, I, I you know, again, I think if we go into the numbers. And right now, ESPN is playing the hits. Uh, they talk about the Lakers, even though they're not involved in this whole postseason run. They must have data that says uh, that's what they need to go towards. But it's it probably like... I think it's a simple I think ESPN drives programming decision. I'm sorry to interrupt you a bunch. No, of no, that, no, but... I, no this is where we remind the audience. Uh, I remember taking a, an anthropology of language course in college and they, they had a finding, an unpolitically correct finding, that Ashkenazi Jews interrupt one another. It's <laughs> a cultural norm. And so just remember that when you're listening, when we do this. We're not being rude. It's just the culture. Continue, right? Um, yes, we're doing it for the culture. So <laughs> I think ESPN has gotten into a little bit of a feedback loop where they um they program their TV based on what does well on YouTube, and I don't think that those platforms have the same audience. And yeah. so the um the, these like NBA talk videos just you know light up the YouTube views meter and Twitter views and Instagram views, and so they think that that's what um their aggregate audience wants. And I think with no evidence whatsoever, I would disagree. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other subject is how compartmentalized these mass forms of media are. I'm trying to do a story right now. We'll see if it ends up working. It's hard to get a hold of them, but there is, let's call him an NBA media content maker who has over 2 million subscribers on YouTube has a Twitter account. That Twitter account has 140 followers. It's just amazing how famous you can be in one and be totally irrelevant and anonymous in the other. Um, and yeah, if you're using that as your indicator, it can lead you astray. We already have people. If you bring up LeBron, people jump into the queue. So let's take a couple of questions before we start moving on to some other, some other subjects. Let's go with Win right now. Uh, invite. Make next caller. I know how to use this technology in theory. Win. Win. 
Are you there, buddy? Can you, Are you, can muted? you, can you, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can yeah. hear you. Okay. Um, so I just put a little link in the show notes. I wanted to ask you guys about the the viewership ratings for this opening playoffs. And because you yes. really loved your point about the sort of like, you know, the viewership rating, you know, viewership in general has, there's so much shenanigans going on with it. But I posted this thing in the links because it's not just the Boston Nets. But it's, there's a lot of games that are really that are really yeah. doing really well, and so I think that maybe goes to your LeBron point. And I think sometimes Ryan, you mentioned like earlier about your theory about the kind of like gambling angle that the you know NBA is trying to capitalize on. And every time I see these ads about the money lines and all these sort of things, and I don't know, maybe the NBA is doing a little bit better than we think. I want to hear what you guys are That's Well, the, 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 this out-of-home viewership, it's impossible yeah. to um, really contextualize and figure out how much of a bump they're getting. We've discussed this a bunch of times, so I apologize for anyone who's bored of hearing it, but we really need to hammer this home that they didn't measure out-of-home audience in the Nielsen ratings until two years ago. Last year, the um, people weren't leaving their houses as much. And um, people, I think the networks complained that they weren't getting a big enough bump yeah, from yeah. out-of-home. And so now everything is just like... Everything. The um, ratings are on like 1998 home run stats right now. Yeah. Um Across, and, like, NASCAR is posting 20% gains, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, so and I don't think there's any deep hunger for what NASCAR is doing, right? I don't think that's happening. And I, I'm cutting in to, because it, it is a weird thing. And I think I think something is happening. I do think that these playoffs are good and they're resonant. And it's important for the NBA to, to build after LeBron. I also do wonder when you're seeing these gains and you juxtapose it against having the least watched Christmas Day game since they started doing that, and then also the second least watched All-Star game, um, even though it had the 75th anniversary. And so there, that doesn't totally make a lot of sense. Um, but at the same time, hey. Why don't know, we just use it to say people are sick of LeBron? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> See, that's easier. That's an easy the, narrative. Um... Well, I'm, I'm with it. So there, yeah. there's also there's a there's something that I've seen on Twitter that I want to push back on. Um, there's all these people saying, "Oh, well, I thought the NBA was too woke, and um, but now people are watching." Surprise, surprise. Well, guess what? The NBA took the woke messaging out of oh, their core game product. It was oh, embedded you're, 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 into the games. Before and now it's not. Right. This is, so this I is don't my think article. This is my article for tomorrow, or part of it. But yeah, I mean, thank you. Yeah, it's a funny thing. It, it, but you're okay. So you are positioned to say that. I'm positioned to say that. Let's look at that that point you just made and look at how it seems like nobody's positioned to make that point because Clay Travis and Outkick the coverage and conservative media. I do think look at the NBA is kind of an archetypal boogeyman and uh, archetypal woke. So they must always be failing and prove that woke is broke or what have you. And so when the NBA succeeds, that group of people aren't necessarily going to tout that, right? And then on the other side, as to what you're referring to, the people who are more in a blue world, blue check world, who like activism and celebrate it, 
would not want to advance the narrative that the NBA benefited from eschewing activism as they did. Uh, so it seems like we're in a position, Ryan, we're the, we're the only two people in America who will make this point, apparently. No one else will say this. Like, the, you 39 people are very lucky. Yeah. You're the only people who are going to hear this thing. <laughs> well, hey, 39, but eventually 2,000. You know, yes. I mean, Ethan but, and yeah. Ryan, maybe you guys have some kind of silent, you know, listeners. Maybe Adam Silver might be in this calling. And you we have definitely no have a lot of silent, powerful listeners, but nobody even, like, we we have them, but people are so silent that they don't even reach out to me about it. <laughs> but, but on a serious note, I mean, I think you're... I'm not joking. I'm serious about that. Like, we have powerful listeners, and they don't want anybody to know about it. Yeah. I mean, I... I wonder on two levels. One, I think it's... I think it's actually kind of easy to, to become unwoke, because you, all you do is just stop talking about it. And so, mm. if that's the NBA's position moving forward, then... I think the kind of in strength that the NBA has is that I think the playoffs on a certain level can be so much more engaging than yeah. maybe not the NFLs, but a seven game series when you can create narratives and you cool. have good storytellers and LeBron's not in it. I mean, fuck him. You know, I mean, that's the sort of thing. So I'll, well, I'll it's they, they literally had like the names on the jerseys saying like, say their names or yeah. I can't breathe or justice now or liberation or like respect us and stuff. And they had the silliest instance of it, but I think it's arguable that they're the most woke league. I mean, it's just, they get, they get hit with it. I do think there's an element of them being the archetypal black, more individualistic league that makes them more of a target. Um, I do think that's the case. Are we sure the NBA is a bigger percentage of black players than the NFL? I'm not certain about oh, that I'm not, I'm not with sure all these white that. European players now. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but it definitely has more superstars, right? Uh, so I think there's there's that to it. But yeah, MLB has basically tried to outdo the NBA in this respect in many ways, except their fans are Republican. So it makes zero sense from a business perspective. So in a way, the NBA, though it's hit with this label, and uh, I do think it contributed to a decline, uh, at the same time has maybe done less damage to itself and its overall brand with its core customers than the MLB has. Well, but the thing is, is that these leagues are not judged on their core customers. They're judged on rising and falling with the amount of casuals that they bring into the net on their biggest games. And yeah. so right now they're succeeding in that with these playoffs and we should mention it. We'd be ridiculous yeah. if we didn't oh. because we talked, we harped on the decline. So we have to mention we that. Gotta, we got to, you know, it, it is a time for us to uh, kiss the ring on Adam Silver's skinny finger and, and admit that he is uh, he has righted the ship. Um, and a lot of that is the, as you said earlier, the return of the Warriors, man. I I, I was thinking about writing about them, uh, but I, I almost can't do it. It's like not in me anymore. I can't do it better than other people can do it. But it's allowed me, Ryan, to enjoy them with a fan's eyes. And I'm just, I'm just going, oh, because back in the day, it was sort of a job. Anything I saw, I had to do. Um, now I'm going, oh, this is awesome. No wonder people love this. This is so cool. <laughs> Look at this. They're just pinging the ball around. 
three-pointers from all over, and the rise of Jordan Poole gives them this tantalizing new spin on the whole on the whole thing. Um, that, I mean... They the salvaged Andrew got. Wiggins, which is like a true testament to their power. Oh, my God. The Jordan Poole thing, I mean, this is maybe the most basketball analysis we'll get uh, before perhaps taking a JF call. Um, but I don't know what the ceiling is. I think it was common to say C.J. McCollum and Hey, CJ McCollum, pretty damn good, and perhaps uh, a bit stepped on in his development uh, since he had to share the ball with with Lillard. But now I'm going like I don't know where this goes. I mean, this is legitimately shocking, considering he was the worst uh, NBA player perhaps in his first season as a rookie. And so that's just this whole other thing where you're starting. I don't want to get too crazy. The Nuggets can't guard. But then you're looking at it. You're going, is there is there like another superstar coming out coming out of the bay? You know, is that is that what's happening? Maybe like I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. The um, the Warriors. So this is like a little bit of a stretch analogy, and the Warriors are certainly better than the Badgers. But hmm. Wisconsin football and basketball, they're never in these like highly touted recruiting rankings, and then they're always around in the top fifteen, like. They they get they reached a national title game in basketball and another Final Four. They haven't sniffed that in football, but they're always hanging around the top ten or top fifteen, despite the fact that they don't rank in the top forty in recruiting. And so, the Warriors, for whatever reason, are better than the rest of the league, light years ahead, maybe, uh. at identifying and developing players. Um, and other than we should give them credit for that. Yeah, other than James Wiseman, perhaps. Although, you know, maybe he heals up. We'll see what happens. But uh, obviously, we need to take a call because, you know, we're reverting to our old selves. I'm talking about Warriors. You're talking about Badgers. We're just becoming cliches. So let's get JF on to ask a question, make him the next caller. JF. Yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, So I want to push back on Ethan's point about the Golden State Warriors, you know, drawing this larger audience. I think it's kind of a movement for the NBA away from super team that's bringing in a larger audience across, you know, all these games over the weekend. Mm. Um, I think that's what's propelling kind of the more broader. That's a good point because all these teams are draft and develop. Exactly. I push back on that. The biggest number of the weekend was was the Nets Celtics. I mean, maybe that's yeah, that's true. They are the super team, but built versus bot. Yeah, but I would say at least with the Nets, doesn't it seems a bit more organic than you know uh, to the Warriors of 2017 when they just added Durant on top of a 73 win team, which was absolutely ridiculous, and that was the start of the decline, right? It really peaked that Steph year, that Steph versus LeBron uh, 2016 finals. Yeah, uh, in, in terms of interest, <coughs> and I think they took that and they looked at the the uh, LeBron Heat. Uh, teams as well and they kind of over indexed on the super team and same with the entire culture of the league right you know we got to create these super teams and it just basically killed the interest of probably you know two-thirds of the league that had no chance of even competing for a championship i think there's more optimism within these fan bases that they could actually compete for a title right so there there is the biggest distribution of plausible contenders right now that there's been Honestly, since I can remember, I don't remember a time when there were like 
eight legitimate NBA title contenders. Exactly. And I think that's part of the reason why the NFL is such a draw, right? Like your, your team is going to be competing for the playoffs. Like every, you know, the cycles are much shorter for a team to rebuild and be competitive. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bengals were like 125 to one to win the Super Bowl. And then they had a real puncher's chance in the game to do so. And so you're, you're never going to see something like that in the NBA. Although like, the Bucks, like the year they came, they lost to the Raptors were close because they were a hundred to one to win the title before that year. But yeah. no, to your point, it, it is like really the NFL, anything can really happen going into a season. And this year, at least for like a quarter of the NBA, that that's true. Yeah. And and I want to tack on a couple points uh, of yours, Ryan. One, you know, I think part of the NBA's problem is they have a Disney problem because everything that ESPN does as a product to show their game is cringe. I don't like the word, but, you know, I kind of love the word. You think but... the word cringe is cringe? Exactly. <laughs> it is. And, uh, you know, from Mark Jones, you know, with all these ridiculous kind of calls. Oh, like, thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. He caught a body. Like, oh, my, you know, my ears just want to bleed when I hear these like kind of forced uh, yeah, you know, kind of catch the hotter, yeah, the, the his calls don't feel natural somehow. I mean, and it, he's he's not like you wouldn't say he's bad as as an announcer, as a broadcaster, but there's just something that doesn't. It almost feels well, like you know, when he when he hot. he did all these cringe things like saying, "Oh, I'm yes. not going to take a security escort because I'm yes. afraid they're going to shoot me." Like just saying things that are outrageous yeah. and like but if you can like call a game, tweets can... about like the bosa's getting like hurt when they're republicans or whatever like he's done he has probably five or six things that make it so that that's what i think about when i see that he's calling okay, the that's game. an interesting detour because is the broadcaster the play-by-play guy somebody we just don't want to know anything about kind of like our teachers growing up where we don't want to see them in real life and well, it has more of an impact, perhaps. No, I don't think so. Because, like, we know a lot about Joe Buck, and I think he's great. Um, although he may be like unpopular on Twitter or whatever. But um, Al Michaels, we know a lot about him now at this point. Um, yeah, but are they telling you things about politics? That's what people really get mad about. No, no, no. yeah, you don't. You don't know their opinions uh i know al michaels is a republican like i know that but i i don't know why i know that it's not part of his he's not on twitter i mean but that's the thing if he was on twitter it'd probably be a disaster it'd probably not be good for his overall brand as al michaels if he was given his takes and this is and this is a great point because this is you know a a, you know far tangent but ryan i know you wrote about michelle defoya and uh, because Bill Simmons kept on bringing up her name and her absences on Sunday Night Football. And I guarantee, you know, when I heard him say that and repeat it, he's like, somebody's obviously feeding him. I wonder if it's Michaels or somebody who's pissed that Michelle's basically, you know, sidelined, uh, hmm. no pun intended, because she was on the uh-huh. news, made all these comments about Kaepernick and um, critical race theory. He got yeah. so mad at me for aggregating that take. And then when she did go into right wing media, he took like a victory lap. He whatever. Um, I thought he, he was baiting people to write about it. Right? That was the no. Whole I did. I wrote it up, and he's like, "Oh, some guy at the New York Post uh, oh, didn't realize God. I was joking." And, what? Uh, what? 
that's crazy. That is madness. I had no idea about any of this. This is this is quite the detour. I didn't know that you had beef with uh, with Bill Simmons over your aggregation. Um, it, you did I a just great joke. job. Yeah, I like Bill Simmons, but um, he did. He had beef with me over aggregating that take that something was going on with Tafoya, and then after she like went into the right wing media, he took like a big victory lap about how he's. Oh, he was right. So he got he ripped me for aggregating him and like when he said he was joking. And then when it came to fruition, he's like, yeah, I was right. So that's kind of like. It, but it was absolutely ridiculous because you brought so much context to that thing where right? he just kept alluding, alluding to it. You brought all the video and, you know, you actually talked about it in detail of what actually happened uh, that made much more sense. So it wasn't like really aggregation. You, you I know when I aggregate, I try to add value, but um, people my, my don't case, like the by the way, you, you can hurt your brand uh, going political as play by play sideline. I don't really know. That's just people on Twitter. You know, I, I don't really know if we care as much. That's my that's just my feeling it kind <laughs> of just completely thrown shit in the air kind of take. That's just my sense on it. And my, you know, and to answer your question too, I don't think it really ma- matters that much. I think the personality of the commentator does, and mm-hmm. kind of the, her uh, performance does. Like, you know, the guy that Grant Napier, the you know Mark Jones replaced him is uh, Sacramento play-by-play. I think he was great at what he did. Incredible. Uh, and you know, I don't like Mark. I think he's very, like I said, cringe and kind of hokey in his comments. He's he's very like LeBron-like, not only in his politics, but and kind of the inauthentic stuff, right? Yeah. You mentioned, he's like, I want my damn respect. And then like that same, was it that summer, the summer before he has this kind of uh, photo that's always goes on NBA Twitter. The people don't like him. He's like, ah, oh, I can't believe this is my life or he's <laughs> taking a selfie in his pool. Yeah, in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. With his head back. I, I, I have one quick Grant Napier take though, which is that what got him in trouble and ultimately got him fired I thought was part of what made him a great announcer, which was just the pure kind of aggression to his, his, his catchphrase was, Whoa, if you don't like that, you don't like Sacramento Kings basketball. Just accusatory. <laughs> just, just, I, I miss it. I miss Grant Napier's stuff. You know, he's a childhood friend of Chris Russo. That does not shock me at all. That That is the least shocking thing that has ever been said on this. I mean, that, that makes, that just makes a tremendous amount of sense from the New York accent to the gruffness, to the bluntness, um, man, they get a call in. So I just want to, uh, ask one question before I'll drop off and you guys can move on. But, uh, on this topic of Sacramento, so Boogie Cousins, so Mark Spears wrote this kind of like puff piece on, um, DeMarcus Cousins being kind of a victim of Sacramento Kings. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Because I remember a Zach Lowe profile that basically he came back shocked from doing this on-site report in Sacramento, like how much of a bully uh, DeMarcus Cousins was while he was there to other players and to the other uh, organizations, uh, our guys, staff in the organization. So uh, do you have any kind of insight to actually what was going on while he was there? And uh, it, you know, I, I thought this was kind of a ridiculous puff piece. I only saw like pieces. Of I, it, but... I didn't see the piece. I saw that he said that like he did more for the Sacramento organization than they did for him. I assume that came from here. You know, these people like they they're not um, bound by law to sign a second contract with these bad organizations. Yeah. And so 
if they actually think that there is red, I know you cost yourself a lot of money, but you actually don't if you're leaving like Sacramento for let's say like Dallas or Miami, you're actually not losing that much money in the transaction when you start accounting for state income taxes. Yeah. Like just go, if if you don't like being in Sacramento, leave after four years, you're free. I think that there, I think it's a bad organization, obviously. Um, And so there's a little bit of, he's a victim, but he's also a victimizer. And uh, I don't think he was the easiest teammate to have by by many accounts uh and there was this bullying aspect but there are other aspects of the cousin of cousins that's just kind of cool i didn't have too many interactions with him um but i liked the few interactions i had and he's an interesting guy but i i don't i'm not sold on the idea that demarcus cousins career would have just been so remarkably different if not specifically for the Sacramento Kings. I think if he had been with a great team, you might have gotten different results, but anything in the bottom third tier, I think you would have gotten the situation you got. That's just my guess. You know, you never look, I, I will I would say this, similar to what was referenced with Lowe, I never had anybody uh call me up or have a conversation in the media room with somebody who was close to that situation. And that situation is one where the people who are close to it, it's a small world, they're really in it in Sacramento. Never did somebody say, you know, they're being really unfair to him. That never happened. That never happened. It only went the other way. So make of that what you will. Do we want to do this? Um, so we have a request to discuss the Joe side piece. Um, oh, yeah. I'm down to discuss that. I um, I was thinking about writing about it, but I, I ultimately checked my swing on it. So it's a pretty good discussion topic. So uh, ESPN, the Finaru brothers, who are fantastic journalists, and it's unbelievable they've lasted there that long. Um, they did a deep expose on Sai. The um, so I think it was remarkable that they got it all through. This is the second story like this where I've been marveled at their ability to get this onto the website. The first one detailed the abuse at these NBA camps in China, and then this one really um. It, it it did what like uh, the New Yorker used to do pre-Trump, where mm. it introduced all of these um, like allegations and then gave the person the chance to deny them and let the reader judge for him or herself what was true. And so the the loftiest allegation in there was that Psy wanted Maury fired from the Rockets, lobbied for that, and, like, revoked a suite that he bought. And those were all things that someone, quote, close to Cy denied. And Mm -hmm. then it has a lot... It went really deep into um, Alibaba's funding of entities that participate in the genocide of Uyghur Muslims in the Xinjiang region of China. And so it, it like didn't, it never, it didn't, it never came up with like a smoking gun with Psy, but it also presented a, a situation where he's so embedded in Alibaba's 
operations and their financing that it would be impossible to believe he didn't have a direct hand yeah. in funding these entities. Utterly believable that you would want Maury fired. I mean, he basically was lobbying for it publicly uh, with what he said. Yeah, he talked about like the Chinese sovereignty, which was like not my read on the situation. <laughs> I, I, it's kind of hilarious when you think about it, where he all but said fire the guy in public, but no, in private, never. I would never even think about it or cross my mind. I, it's just, it's not believable. Um, I do think that sometimes the focus on these articles, and I'm not criticizing this one, but the focus is almost a little strange to me. I feel like I'm more of a nationalist uh, than some media people who do criticize China. Obviously, China is doing horrific things to their own population, uh, notably recently in Shanghai, in addition to the Uyghur uh, oppression. But it, it is weird to me that there's so much focus on that, which there should be focus on, but not the focus on how they are an adversarial power. They're quite upfront about wanting to supplant the United States. They have spies very well documented uh, in our country trying to st steal state secrets. And the response from our elites, for lack of a better word, is come on down. We love you. <laughs> it's just like involve yeah, yourself. And, and, in like, and the, the, the elites, they take big money from China. And the NBA is have become the poster child of this because of the whole Mori situation. But they take a lot of money from China. They bash inequality and things that are wrong with America. And I'm not saying America is oh, perfect and that they're okay, not. So that was, that was another part of it. Cause I read, I not only read the article, I read a recap on that daily and everybody talks about this juxtaposition where, you know, Joe Tsai, you know, he's accused of these bad things in China, but in America, he's donating all this money, $50 million to social justice. And I, and I just, come he's trying to like single-handedly get they don't, the WNBA. They don't view our social justice is good for us. Like anybody who has read about China has read about, you know, the term, uh, or however it's pronounced as an understanding that they, the interpretation from that government is that this is a profound weakness in our system. So, yeah, I mean, if your perspective is that that is helpful, then, you know, you take the money and you say, thank you for that. But I don't necessarily interpret those donations as a reflection of Joe Tsai wanting to better the United States. I just Yeah, don't. no, it's been part of the communist playbook dating back to the USSR of, like, pointing out our racism as, like, uh, a blemish. And like I said, it's not all unfounded like that that's uh it's a pox on america that we open ourselves up to that criticism um yeah and, 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 and you know it, it can it can have interesting effects i think um a lot of the uh the history on kennedy being supportive of the civil rights movement was this feeling of the soviets are going to use this against us if we don't clean up our clean up our act clean up our shit so you know, maybe such criticisms can can be beneficial uh, in a way. But it was just funny to me because it, the, the way it's framed is almost juxtaposed uh, is amusing considering what the predominant view is in China of our various social justice movements. But but for ESPN to, to allow that piece now, granted, if you want to nitpick, they produce this great journalism. And whenever we see anything like about oh, you know, turmoil about the Patriots or turmoil in the Warriors or something. 
it just becomes drop everything and discuss on TV. Yeah. This, well, great the, journalism this is my did. theory that, that, that they're a dog chasing a laser pointer. And every once a year, those brothers come out with uh, some incredible work of investigative journalism that creates financial problems. And they go, oh, my God, we got to do something. We got we, we to fire these guys and then get distracted. And then they you know, lose track of time. And then a year later, there's another piece. That's my theory on how they've stayed uh, <laughs> steady so long. It's, it's amazing they haven't been snapped up by, like, any number of these, like, streaming companies that want to produce original documentaries because, like, they've been making documentary-quality journalism for longer than they've been at ESPN. One of them wrote this, like, book on El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, like, that was, like, doubled as a, like, complete picture of, like, Cuba and how this, like, baseball player smuggling worked in the 1990s. But the um, it, it's amazing that, like, John Skipper hasn't hired them to make documentaries, for example. But the I was impressed that ESPN put it up because the, the story acknowledged Disney's own um, issues of China, like thanking the oppressive regimes in the Mulan credits, for example. Like, it allowed them to, like, tell the truth about all of the conflicts and um, so I want to applaud ESPN for I'll allowing it, even if they didn't amplify it on TV. I will say some cynics within the league texted me and said that it's almost kind of this perfect in-between where not quite a kill shot and they get praise for having done it but it's not enough to really rattle the cage. I mean, that's some people's view of it. I think it is only not enough to rattle the cage because it was self-contained almost like, yeah, the New York post and outkick and Fox news covered the like Maury headline, but it, it didn't, it wasn't discussed anywhere on like widely watched television that I saw. Well, my, my other theory on it is, I think there's more of a willingness to do this, and this is not particular to the article, but I do think that the NBA China dynamic is unworkable long term, and there is somewhat of a recognition of that uh, within the league, that this is not as tenable as they want it to be. They have not been able to produce a Chinese superstar. That's really their biggest problem beyond the politics. The politics come into play now. Because China's looking at it and they're saying, hey, uh, we promote nationalism in our country. This is a sport without any Chinese nationals in it. Um, Why do we need this? And if you're saying stuff that uh, crosses us in any way, we've got no problem banning it because it's not really serving our purposes, which makes sense. And so I think that that is what's doomed the dynamic in many ways is that they spent all this money. They had all these academies, all with the express intent on creating not just Chinese NBA player, but Chinese superstars in the NBA. It's one of the biggest failures in human capital uh, that there was so much effort towards this end. And you look at the league, you've got a player from Japan, you've got a player from Finland, you've got players from just these far-flung tiny countries and not a single player from China. It's rather remarkable. And I do yeah, there's think not even like star D. There's not even like Division One players from China. Yeah, yeah it's an it's an amazing failure. 
considering the investment. And I think that failure is informing more of a sense that, hey, maybe the NBA doesn't need to do everything to try to court China. Maybe China's not the future like they thought it would be. Um, because how are you going to have this dynamic where uh, you have none of their players and you can't say anything? And if anybody in your league says anything, the whole operation gets shut down. Yeah, and remarkably, nobody has said anything since. Well, I guess Enos Cantor did, and uh, there's been little things, but nobody of, you know, important to the yeah. league stature. All right, yeah. let's um, pivot. Do you want to do USFL or masks now? I, I actually want to do the Woj gambling thing. Oh, yeah, let's do the Woj gambling. That was a little shocking. That was a little shocking, man. Uh, you you texted that to me. Can you can you set the stage for, for what the hell that was? So the way that I've seen people react to it versus what he said have been two different things. I didn't watch it until right before we came on. I just saw people reacting to it all day. Um, the So what people were, were interpreting, he said, is that the Boston fans hate Kyrie because they bet on basketball and he didn't win with them. That's not what he said. He said, I know... This has nothing to do with Kyrie, but I'm going to go on this talk about um, fans being abusive towards players and the fact that like people can gamble on so many derivatives that players are hearing about it from angry fans. Um, I don't. I I don't actually doubt that players, coaches, and management believe there's been an uptick in heckling over this. I am dubious that it isn't just like, you know, heckling that used to exist before, combined with the fact that our society is in just a little bit of this, like, uh, we're, we're not... We're not getting along right now as a society. Violent crime is up. Political polarization is up. Traffic deaths are up. Un- unhappiness is up. The percentage of unhappy people in a given arena. Yeah, so we're, we're, our society isn't clicking on, you know, positive cylinders right now. And so it would stand to reason that there would be more people being verbally abusive to NBA players and whatever um, whatever the players are hearing, whether it's gambling or something else, I don't doubt that fans are being more abusive now than over the last decade, which would be everybody's recent memories. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm just reacting to it to, to you know, people just tuning in. Uh, Woj offering almost a warning that as gambling is legalized, you're going to have more fans angry over losing money who are going to have more vituperative interactions with players. It's a little weird because there are all those rumors recently that the uh, fantasy sites, the gambling sites were courting his services. And if he was going to leave ESPN, it would have been to one of those places. And he has re-signed with ESPN. So he is not going to one of those places like a DraftKings. Um, and so it was kind of interesting in the aftermath of that. I almost wondered if it was him working out some sort of uh, – rationale for why he didn't go that direction or i don't know it was just very it was very odd at the same time i would say though that the reaction to what he said did not match what he said yeah well i what he said wasn't crazy 
you know, it wasn't a crazy take. I, I think that there's perhaps something to it. We don't know what we're doing when we legalize gambling everywhere. We don't know what the effects of it are going to be. Um, now, if I were countering, I would say the most tense interactions between players and fans in the NBA happen uh, in Utah at Salt Lake City, where you're going to have the least amount of people drinking and the least amount of people gambling in that arena. So uh, maybe that's not really the factor right there. Um, and also, but- it's the the most tense interactions are razzing of away players. And so yeah. this idea that somebody is going to like bet on a player that his team is playing against to score a lot of points and then be mad at him when he doesn't is a little bit far-fetched. Maybe people are going to get on their own players over this. But, um, you know, how is a Celtics fan going to get mad at, like, Kyrie Irving for not hitting his points threshold, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's not not going to – that's a whole – that's a whole other dynamic where he's saying suck my fucking dick and, uh, you know, giving them the double birds and everything else. And, I love uh, it. It's great whole, content. It, it really, you know, it's funny. I, my view of it is it's not as truly enjoyable as Trey Young versus the Knicks fans. That's just pure enjoyment. It's almost, it's super enjoyable during the game. And it gives it this great atmosphere that reminds you of Spike Lee versus Reggie Miller. But then it becomes a press conference afterwards and it gets tiresome. It goes from fun to tiresome. Well, he's once... like, they're they're so hard on him. And then he's just drilling impossible shots. It's an amazing <laughs> juxtaposition. It's great stuff in the game. Not as great in the press conference. But hey, as long as we're getting good games, uh, that's, that's all that matters. So, oh, okay. So I had to mask uh, the transportation mask issue take because I think a lot of what we do on this show... Um, we like looking at behavior of, uh, you know, uh, customers, uh, preferences in the population, uh, in sports specifically, but elsewhere, I think that's a focus. And one of the reasons I'm keen on the, uh, airplane mask situation and, you know, and if you've been living under a rock, uh, there was a, a Trump appointed judge in Florida who on legal grounds, uh, rescinded the mask mandate on airplanes and at the airport. Um, and I think the, the recent scuttlebutt is that the Biden administration is going to uh, perhaps uh, appeal or object. I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to get into it all. I, I would assume that for the sake of political salvation, they want this thing to go away, but they also don't want to open up the door uh, for just any judge anywhere to strike down the things they want. And there's something that they're, they're pursuing, I would think, you know, if they're not suicidal, but I, but I identify it for this reason, um, because I like polling, you know, I, I, I think polling can be very useful. Um, but sometimes I question the polling and sometimes when we get better information, I think we should reject the polling in the lead up up to this, Ryan, you would see people debate this issue a little bit and a media member would inevitably pull out some poll about how six in 10 Americans were for this mandate. That cannot possibly be true. They, like, not even close to be true. You six don't, in 10 Americans that they know. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, you're seeing too many videos uh, on the Internet of the announcements going out. You're seeing it. I mean, look, 
I don't think well, Walter Kern be- made the best analogy. He, he's the author of Up in the Air and a bunch of other books. He said the like people like reacting on the planes to the announcement yesterday was like the munchkins in Wizard of Oz when the house <laughs> fell on the Wicked Witch. I mean, you can't, or the thing I thought about it, it looked like, like the Berlin Wall fucking came down. There's no way, there's no way that it's that popular considering those reactions. And uh, I think what Six you were watching... Six in ten people who write for the New York Times or NBC <laughs> News want that to say. Well, I, I mean, like, I'm sure such people exist. I can't tell you what numbers they exist in, but this is this is what happens when you're only allowed to see people representing one option. You have no idea how popular the alternative option is. And when that alternative option is suddenly available, you can see a preference cascade take place where... Uh, you know, a few people do it and then everybody's into it. But in this case, it wasn't even that. It was just spontaneous hooray. Um, I don't think, like, I just don't, I don't think that mandate's very popular. And I think that uh, you need to check polling against results. Election results are the ultimate poll. Uh, I was questioning that these measures were as popular as the polling said they were, especially after the election in 2021, November, and I'm just going, look, man, um, if these if these mandates are popular and these restrictions are popular, you are not seeing the governor of New Jersey in deep blue New Jersey, the Democratic governor, Phil Murphy, come within a hair of losing. That's just not something that you will see if this is indeed the case. And to that point, Phil Murphy afterwards said, yeah, I almost lost because of these mandates. <laughs> like, well, don't. And also. I would argue counterintuitively that a mask mandate is a repudiation on the idea that vaccines Mm. and masks work because if vaccines work and masks work, what kind of like mask needs somebody else to be wearing a mask to work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's undermining, it's undermining the idea that we can get back to normal and, um, I mean, we've we've been down this road before. I think the two of us, especially because we've gotten COVID, are a little more relaxed than some people who haven't gotten it. I, I certainly have older family members who have not gotten it, and you don't know. You know, there's there's it's it's a legit scary thing, certainly. But um, but yeah, we are both more on the side of uh, normalcy, good, giving people uh, civil liberties and freedom, good. Uh, <laughs> And you can see it's well, uh, if, um, if, you know, like Dr. Eric Ding, those people of the world had their way, we'd be Shanghai. That's the other issue is this lack of trust now where I just don't I don't trust certain people to do the more cautious thing because they've represented an inability to pull a handbrake on it ever. And so knowing that it has informed my sense of things. And they haven't, yeah, it. none of them have given any idea of what would make it. So like, if you can't end the mask mandate now, what is the, your threshold for when you would end it? Then that's the frustrating part of it where it's, Hey, if you articulate a benchmark that seems realistic, then, you know, maybe we have a conversation, but this just seems like, you want life to be like this in perpetuity. And most people, most people do not, regardless of what they say to a pollster. And I do think that this was, in, in many ways, this did the administration a favor just because it decreases the sum total of annoyance and misery out there. 
Um, well, look at a it, basketball arena. Like, that's indoors. People are sitting sat crap, right, right next to each other. How many yeah. masks did you see at, like, the Final Four in New Orleans? You might have been able to count them on your fingers and toes in, like, a 70,000-person venue. Yeah. There's the stated preference, and there's the revealed preference. And the revealed preference uh, is a better indicator of where the population is at uh, than perhaps the state. I have no idea how they did these polls. Uh, maybe they had similar issues to what Nielsen had with their out of home data collection. Um, but yeah, that it's just, you know, it's just a reminder that I, I, you can't believe every bit of polling you see. And when you see counter evidence, you got to weigh it. Um, I think that we have seen enough counter evidence. Uh, the combination of the election of 2021, uh, in New Jersey and in Virginia combined with the spontaneous rapturous applause on the airplanes when this announcement went out, um, I think indicates that a lot of the public uh, would like to move on, uh, the majority of the public. But you know what's crazy is that you say that on Twitter. I mean, my man Nate Duncan said this, I think, a, a week or two ago, that there's no reason to have the mandate on airplanes. And you look at the response uh, from NBA Twitter people, and it was the ultimate heresy with just just crazy vitriolic rage and nearly uh, like a 97% response rate of just that. And what was Nate articulating, but the overwhelmingly uh, popular sentiment in the country he resides in, apparently. Yeah, it's, um, look, if you draw your opinions on what America thinks based on what Twitter consensus is, you're not going to have a very firm grip on reality. Yes. Um, well, uh, do you have a USFL take before we get on? I do. Here? I want it to work. Um, three million for the first game. Granted, it's spread across two widely distributed broadcast networks and Fox and NBC. Um, it's that's a good number. That's bigger than um, basically any NHL, MLS game, any and most NBA and college basketball regular season games. I think that there could be a long-term appetite for spring football. I would like to see them get the points up a little bit. Like these games were in the low 40s, high 30s. I think you want a football game to be 50 to 55 points. Um, If I were running the league, I would say make pass interference a spot foul. That's just the best way to like have these 60-yard chunk plays. It's like weird because the defenses were getting stops right and left, but they weren't forcing turnovers. And so, um, I don't know. I think, I think that the league can stick, and it's got smart people running it. America loves football, so hopefully, like I think in the marketplace, we want more things like it to work. Yeah, and it seems like it should work. It's weird that the spring football. Uh, the spring football uh, experiment has not totally taken hold. And it seems to have the same rhythm of millions of viewers and then doesn't sustain. So maybe it will sustain. Let us, let us end. Wait, we got Yu Yang. Well, I was about to say, let's end on Yu Yang, man. Let's let's do it. it. Hey, my pleasure guys. Hey, hi Ryan. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing well, man. All right. All right. Love to talk about the USFL, but I kind of want to ask a question for Ryan today. Um, about uh, about his betting. Um, uh-huh. First qu- first question is well first a statement. I just want you to congratulate you on the on the on the, on the picking made last week. Um, I think you, I think you picked Minnesota. 
right? Yeah, and it then, happened you, after the yeah. show. Yeah, came yeah, to yeah, it. yeah, yeah. They were down by nine, and I'm sure, like uh, Ryan, you were like you know, probably celebrating as, as as much as the 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 players were, right? They, they were celebrating. <laughs> no, everything. I um, <laughs> I don't get too high or too low on my bets. I like that's right. I trust the process. It would be unbecoming of Colin's ace Rothstein to get too emotional. But continue. Right, you know what, and uh, I, I, I kind of want to hear both your takes on because I know Ethan, you're you're kind of a sharp better too because you talked about how you did a, like um article like a few years back about betting, mm-hmm. but uh, just just uh just um uh for, sorry Ryan, uh, do you have any bets that you can share with us tonight about the NBA game? Because I see this uh, I see this a really close score right now. I don't want to ruin it for anybody who's uh, watching it on on pay delay or but no. uh, do you have any bets going on um, tonight? Oh, I let I have I'll I'll go and look through my open bets. So I have. <laughs> Um, I, oh, I won. I won Jonas Valanciunas over a half a block. He already got one. Oh my God. You are a fucking degenerate. <laughs> okay. Go. So it was like, um, the, it was price at minus one Oh five. And I thought really? it been like minus one thirty. Oh, that was my God. that was that was my you know remember that was my question if it was minus one thirty now minus one hundred five you got to take that bet for sure like over a half yeah half and then block. I have eaten under ten and a half rebounds let's see where he is um so has nine rebounds I think I'm gonna lose that one so I'm wondering if you have any kind of heuristic when you make these bets I have one rule when I make these bets um, which is this. I need to explain to myself why it's a market inefficiency, why why I will win. If I can tell myself that story, I'll, I'll be wrong some of the time. Um, but there is a process there that's that's better than I like the jersey or I'm just feeling them. Right. So what is your do you have a process or. Yeah, I don't I very like. Probably 90% of my bets have nothing to do with what I think about sports. Um, sometimes I'll like make field picks, but most of them are just looking across the market and finding one book that has a price that is like different from consensus and thinking that this book is wrong and the market consensus is right. There you go. Well, I'm going to get on out of here because I've got to write an article about how uh, Adam Silver is my dad now um, and, uh, you know, suck up to the NBA and, and praise them, Ryan, for, for their uh, for being in fine fettle. But I want to give a, a thanks to Ryan. Great takes as always. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to the callers. And we will be back. Even the it. ghost listeners who are powerful and don't tell us. Yeah. You know what? Maybe represent yourselves. Maybe give us a shout out or two. You know, don't let us take all the risks. And burn all the bridges talking about these media people. You know, how about you risk something? Get some skin in the game, folks. That's all I'm saying. Or not. Right. Or just keep listening. Happy right. Tuesday, everyone. Next week, presumably. Yes, indeed. See ya.